Infirmary Media. People engage in stuff for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Van out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as we return to tag team competition here on our show. I am Mark James, one half of the team known as the Mamalukes, and alongside me is my tag team partner, Man Crush. What's up, guys? We got March of 1986, and we're ready to rock. It's kind of it's getting kind of weird now. Last year I had all 80s. Then we tried to do a little bit of 90s this year, and try to do mostly 90s. Now we're getting pushed back to the 80s again. So I'm like my sides. I'm all over the fucking place. But yeah, we're uh, March 86. Let's do this. And our opponents is the team known as the Viral Sensations. <coughs> oh, hi. This is Joe Finley from the Viral Sensations uh, from the Miscast Commentary Podcast. Uh, we're taking on March of 1992. And if you think I'm the sexy face of this team, well, you've got another thing coming because here's my partner. No, no, you actually are the, the sexy face of the team, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I am Drew Zachman from the One Headlight 90s podcast, and uh, yeah, we are going to uh, viral all over you guys. <laughs> Thanks. I got my mask. Not my surgical mask. I got a real mask. <laughs> Mo- full mop suit. Mop Blood Bowl 5. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So he's back, ladies and gentlemen, a fan favorite judge, the beast from the east, the host of the Selling Out Show, Judge Dave Schultz. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Happy to be back. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Smack it up, flip it, rub it down. Oh no, it's time for more. Dueling Decades. All right, let's hand it right over to our judge, Dave Schultz, for the official toss-off. I'm not sure exactly what I want to flip, so I'm going to leave the option up to you guys. I have a Fleer 1991 Mike Walker baseball card. And if you don't know who he is, you're probably not alone. And then I have a burned copy of Huey Huey Lewis and the News' Greatest Hits. So uh, these are just both laying around my pod lair here. So what would you like me to flip? Joe Finley, you have the honors this week. Why don't you call? All right. We got to, I think, uh, I need the power of love. (laughs) <laughs> to get me through. So let's flip that Huey Lewis Sounds like you need a new and let's drive. go heads. Let me see. And it is the blinding, shiny backside 
of the burned CD. So that's tails, meaning you lose. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Man Crush, that's over to us. What category do you want to go with first? Last couple episodes, we started with news. So let's start with hot products. All right. You want to roll with yours first? Sure. All right, guys. So, you know, here on the show, you know, we love to go to newspapers.com to get all of our research. So we looked back. I looked back in the Atlanta Constitution, dated March 22nd, 1986. You know, and they always preview uh, different things you can purchase in the newspaper, of course. And one of the big things in the 80s was brand new VHS tapes that were coming out. So in here, they review some of the new tapes that are coming out this week and how much you can purchase them for. You know, Follow That Bird was one of the big features this week. $79.95, you could buy that. $34.98 on Laserdisc. Or uh, the bloody gangster melodrama, Year of the Dragon with uh, Mickey Rourke. You could purchase that. But, you know, I'm pretty sure all the listeners to Dueling Decades would have purchased this video cassette. For $79.98, also available on beta, you could purchase Better Off Dead for the first time and bring it into your own home. You know, a fellow named Steve Savage Holland wrote and directed this rollicking farce, one of 1985's funniest teen comedies. The review from the Atlanta Constitution writes, Cusack plays Lane Meyer, a sweet but not too bright high school nerd, obsessed with a bouncy blonde beauty, played by Amanda Weiss. So yeah, I know it's one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Cusack says he wasn't a huge fan of the movie because he didn't like the finished product, but everybody else did. So... Last week of March, 1986, you could head to the store and bring to your home for the very first time, Better Off Dead, on VHS and Beta, mind you, for the low, low price of $79.98. So that's my offerings. Man Crush, what do you got, man? All right, what was the date on yours? Uh, March 22nd, 1986 was the date from the newspaper article. All right, well, mine's pretty close to that, March 25th, 1986. And I routinely mention movies from the Man Crush 3 on here, which, you know, of course, Airplane, Grease, and Friday the 13th. I wish this movie was part of that, but I didn't own it on RCA disc, and quite frankly, it wasn't even out yet. However, I do talk about, and I've said it a bunch of times, that there's a few movies that every young lad should see when they hit puberty. Mark's already nodding his head. It's, it's like a rite of passage. You have to see these movies. And one of the movies that I've mentioned before is Predator. And the other one is this movie. It's an absolute necessity. So you, basically, so you don't grow up to be a whiny little bitch. It's science. <laughs> it's science. You have to. Okay, let's party here. Here's a movie that came out to theaters in October of 85. But much like Rambo 2, it was rushed out to the door to the tape market. So why... Are we running with VHS, both Mark and I? We have a method to our madness here. Because right at the start of 1986, there's a huge run for the aftermarket. And here's why. Rambo First Blood Part Two, like I mentioned before, it was rushed out the door. And they had nearly 500,000 pre-orders by video stores for that. Then you had Jedi come out in February, this movie that I'm going to have. Then you had Back to the Future in May. And many of those movies they were selling, just for like Mark said, $79.98 MSRP. We didn't even talk, and we have the same fucking price. So I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad we're we're both on the same page here. Which is, it's wild to me, though, because like a couple years prior, and I've mentioned this on the episode with Indiana Jones 
And with Star Trek Two: Search of Khan, Wrath of Khan, Wrath of Khan, they both dropped to thirty nine ninety eight. But because you know everyone was going mad for VHS at this time, they jacked the price back up in the mid to late eighties. But without further ado, it's the VHS release of the Arnold classic that you must show your your boys if they just hit puberty. Kindergarten cop. <laughs> Fuck that. Commando. Commando and Predator, two rites of passage. But for this one, we got Commando. All righty. Uh, Drew, do you want to take the lead on this one? Yeah, let me, I'll tell you what, I'll go first. Let me jump on this VHS train, if you don't mind. So this uh, VHS was released on March 12th, the year 1992, after a successful run in theaters. And it earned $83.5 million at the U.S. box office. But the movie is uh, basically the plot of it is a cop who tries to infiltrate a gang of thieves only to feel compassion for the ringleader and also fall in love with someone close to said ringleader and then catches the leader at the end only to let him go. Paul Walker and Vin Diesel star in this wonderful adaptation of the movie they freaking stole the entire freaking plot from. I'm just kidding. It's Point Break. Point Break <laughs> was released on VHS and I swear to you, I, and I love Fast and the Furious and I know those movies are actually, that got pushed out to next year. Because uh, the coronavirus, but Point Break, uh, the plot is ex- it's the same exact thing that is in uh, well, actually the other way around. Uh, the Fast and Furious, the plot is the same exact thing that happened in Point Break, except instead of surfing, it's basically cars. Same damn thing. <laughs> but you know what? I love both movies. Uh, Point Break has Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey, uh, and Tank Girl herself. Lori Petty's in there. Uh, this this movie it, it seriously kicks some ass while teaching all of us about American presidents. And it is also uh, infinitely quotable. Great flick. So, yeah, the VHS release of Point Break. Utah. Give me two. (laughs) All right, Joe Finley, over to you. Well, while you guys are spending all your money on VHS tapes, I've only got quarters, so i got to head my ass over to the arcade. And what I find is a revamped version of a popular video game that becomes the version of this video game. I'm talking about Street Fighter II Champion Edition, released March 18th in 1992. It came out with improved graphics and gameplay from its original Street Fighter II version, but the most important part is the Champion Edition part. You are finally able to play as Balrog, Vega, Sagat, and M. Bison, something that was not an option they were not playable characters in the original version of Street Fighter 2. This is the version of Street Fighter that people know. People, when you talk about Street Fighter 2, people, a lot of people weren't even aware that you couldn't play it those, as those characters. Because when you think about it, you're thinking of the Champion Edition. All the ports that moved on to other video games afterwards included those characters as well. Uh, the success of this box was outstanding. It won, uh, in Japan, it won the Video Game of the Year in 1992, made $182 million in sales and just in Japan. Uh, it's grossed a total of $2.3 billion overall. Uh, it had a lot of success in its early days in the U.S. It actually beat out Mortal Kombat after Mortal Kombat beat out the original Street Fighter II. Uh, and then... The biggest part of it all, it is actually listed as the number three uh, arcade game of all time, just behind Pac-Man and Space Invaders. 
we're talking arcade game though. yes the the actual box yes this is the this is but the sales of the boxes this was a box that was in every arcade and but yes that game is amazing too bad they released a total piece of shit movie and it just negates everything. <laughs> i tried to watch it again the other night and i made it about 25 minutes through and turned it off i know it's a tough one it's it's so bad all right let's go over to judge dave schultz for the ruling for the hot products round okay i have just learned that back in 86 vhs tapes were so fucking expensive (laughs) (laughs) 79.98 are you fucking kidding me you saved two cents. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Holy mackerel. I mean, these are both great films that you guys brought up. Uh, Better Off Dead and Commando. I mean, Commando, you kill a motherfucker with a steam pipe. Doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Big time there. If you got any. Uh, that's a cobweb spoiler, if you will. I do think, though, if you had bought one of these films, you would probably probably be better off dead than your folks finding the uh 7998 charge on their visa card statements but that's that's pricey stuff their diners club their di- yeah their diners club <laughs> you bought what <laughs> okay and then looking at 92 props to joe for not going the movie route and to be honest with you he he learned me on something because i didn't realize that again, like the playable characters and all that were actually exclusive to a champion or championship edition. Uh, Point Break, Drew brought that up. Great movie, uh, outstanding flick. You mentioned quotable beyond belief, great cast. So, this is going to be a tough call for me, a real tough call. Uh, you both teams have brought the goods here, guys. I'm really kind of enamored with the films and the releases. That came out in March of 1986. Love those flicks. Have, yep. Sorry, guys. I have to go that route. Mm. Wow, man, crush. It just goes to prove when it comes to Commando and Better Off Dead, everybody wants some. <laughs> everybody wants some. I'll save that for later. All right, man, crush. Uh, what category do you want to go with next? Where did we say we're going? News? Yeah. You want to do some news? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Why don't you start this one off? All right. So we got uh, March 11th, 1986. And uh, prior to the 1986 regular season, NFL coaches had no way of challenging an official's on-field call. Of course, other than yelling and crying like a little bitch and getting a 15-yard penalty and achieving nothing at the end of the day. Uh, The best a coach could hope for was that another official on the field had spotted the bad call and picked up the flag. Yet on March 11th, 1986, this would all change. Uh, and, and we all know that officials miss calls, but most of the time they actually do get them right. But at certain times they get them wrong, they completely fuck up a game. So as video technology advanced to the point where plays could be reviewed quickly with the help of these strategically placed cameras, the TV audience would get a close look and sometimes we'd get it in slow motion. So this is where we start to get instant replay. Uh this early replay, it was limited. Uh, only officials could initiate a review. Uh, the cameras were far less amazing than they are today. Obviously, it's 1986. But still, anything was better than nothing at this point. Uh, but again, just like it is today, which I don't understand really, but replay was not that popular at the time, either with the NFL teams or with the fans. But can you imagine not having it 
I mean, like it or not, it, it has completely revolutionized the sport. And it's they keep adding little things to make it get better and better. Now, of course, you can, you know, you have the flags you can throw out. You get a couple per half. And they can, uh, you know, every touchdown is reviewed and things like that. But it all started right here on March 11th, 1986, where the NFL adopted it. So it's the instant replay by the NFL. All right. So let's go over to my news selection. We're going to go back to March 25th, 1986. My story is a band signing a contract. This band signed on March 25th, 1986, almost a year to the day of their very first gig at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. This band signed a record deal that would help catapult them to worldwide fame and fortune. They signed with Geffen Records. As soon as they signed, the word of their music would spread beyond California, and they would become the hottest rock band of the 80s and one of the hottest rock bands of the 1990s. Of course, the band I'm talking about is Guns N' Roses, who signed with Geffen Records in March of 86. At the time, Guns N' Roses was basically completely broke. They were living off basically table scraps at the time. They got a loan from Guitars R Us for $25,000 for gear and expenses, and uh, they were able to hit the road and become one of the hottest bands in Los Angeles. So there was a record store called Vinyl Finish. The owner of that record store was Joseph Brooks, and he urged Geffen executive Tom Zutat to catch the show. So Zutat headed down to the Troubadour to check out Guns N' Roses that night, and he noticed there was a bunch of other A&R people all there, all scouting Guns N' Roses. You know, he recalled that Axel didn't originally strike him as particularly too savvy. When he had offered them a contract, Axel said to me, and I quote, Well, if you can get me a check by $75,000 by Friday... We'll sign with you. And then it was then rumored that the, he told another A&R person that if she walked down Sunset Boulevard naked from her office to Tower Records, they'd sign with them. So it was an <laughs> ongoing competition. He didn't want to be outdone, so he walked. He watched every day to, to make sure that there was nobody walking naked down Sunset Boulevard while he put together a check for $75,000. And that's how Guns N' Roses got signed to Geffen Records. And guess who I'm going to see for the second time in July? Who? Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Jamiroquai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah. All right, viral sensations. Over to you guys. All right, March 3rd, 1992. After being part of the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, and after it was granted the full republic status and the newly formed Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia after World War II, Yugoslavia eventually dissolved and the Republic declared independence in 1992, which was then followed by the Bosnian War, which lasted until late 1995. So what I'm talking about is actually Bosnia and Herzegovina proclaiming their independence, and they then also received international recognition the following month on April 6, 1992. And then uh, the Republic of Bosnia and Herzegovina was subsequently admitted as a member state of the United Nations on May 22nd, 1992. Now, the Bosnian War was uh, brutal, I guess, as all wars are. Uh, NATO wound up getting involved in August of 95, which led to the Dayton Agreement of December of 1995 and roughly established the basic political structure of the present day state. So a lot a lot of stuff happened there. This is like <laughs> super uh, cliff notes here. But uh, basically, March 3rd, 1992, uh, Independence Day, Happy Independence Day to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Ooh. Now, did they get attacked by aliens as well? 
No, 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 no. That um, but if they did, Bill Pullman was part of NATO, and he would have gone over there and oh, yeah. given a, a phenomenal speech. <laughs> okay, so we just actually go two weeks later to me, uh, March seventeenth, nineteen ninety two, one day before the consciousness of of uh, Street Fighter Two Champion Edition. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but the the good news about my news is it's actually good news for a change. So huzzah. Oh, shit. Look look at us go. Joe's learning. Yeah. Well, I, you got it's got to be there. You you can't give good news unless you got good news, but I've got good news this time. Uh on 1992, I uh, was 2 years in the making. A lot of negotiations led up to this point, but a referendum was held in South Africa. Uh a referendum that only white South Africans were allowed to vote in, but they voted in favor of ending apartheid, which had been in place since 1948. Uh, the institutional segregation and racist policies that had been enforced in South Africa had been negotiated, uh, like I said, for two years prior to the actual referendum, shortly after uh, Nelson Mandela had been released from prison, which nearly led to a civil war within the country. The referendum was won overwhelmingly by the strictly white voters. Black voters were not, well, black people were not allowed to vote in this re referendum, but only one of their provinces actually voted against ending apartheid. The other ones all were very much in favor of it. And that was the end of racism, folks. We did it. No. <laughs> no, but but that was the end of the institutional racism of apartheid in South Africa. Pretty big deal, which led to Nelson Nelson Mandela becoming the president only two years later. Wow, man, they brought some real news, I guess. Wow, jeez. All right, well, let's see what Judge Dave Schultz has to say. Instant replay ruined the goddamn game. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine all those oh, motherfuckers? Come on. You're a Patriots fan. You should love instant replay. Hey, I got no problem with it. I'm hip. I, I'm cool with the times. I'm just imagining these guys back in 86 when it was first initiated fucking, you know, losing their, their shirts over the damn thing. But uh, I mean, I mean, now, could you imagine watching a game without being on the edge of your, your couch screaming, challenge that fucking play. What's the matter yeah. with you? Challenge. <laughs> Throw you the flag, asshole. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we've actually got to update that a little bit. I mean, we got to think of some new concepts for the coaches because the flag, you know, pulling it out of your sock. Yeah. You know, how hard is that? <laughs> we should have them hold like a live grenade or something. Put some real stakes on challenging. You should be in like a 30 second fight with the line judge. And if he loses, he doesn't get the challenge. Well, oh, I got my money on Ed Hockley. <laughs> he retired, though. He's coming Ed's back. gone. He's he'd, back, he'd come man. back no, and he'd fight people. He's just the enforcer. <laughs> and then Maka brought up the contract signing of Guns and Roses, but please, let's call him G and fucking R. Saying it that way makes me feel like my mullet yeah. is just blowing freely through the wind. I can only imagine back in 1986, 75 grand bought a lot of hookers and blow. <laughs> and while Mark brought a lot of information about the negotiation to the table here i really want to know whose dick they had to suck just to get that contract well, probably, i was gonna say probably all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the question should be whose dick did they suck first right, right. <laughs> yeah okay over to 1992 professor drew dropping the history knowledge on me with the bosnian <laughs> independence 
And while it was a great thing that they did get their independence, a lot of war and bloodshed followed, so that's a little bit of a Debbie Downer. I kind of imagine there was a guy over there who would stroll into bars and try to get laid, claiming that he was the Bosnian Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're, I think they're uh, if I'm not mistaken, their uh, Bill Pullman was Slobodan Milosevic. I think he was... Uh... Yeah, but he was the evil version of yeah, fucking right. Bill Pullman. Yeah, but Bill uh, Pullman true. always sounds a little bit like the evil version of Bill Pullman. Just watch Independence Day. <laughs> Nuke the bastards. Like he's he's in there all the time. And then we have Joe's news story regarding the end of apartheid. I mean, come on, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Uh, the impact, not only there, but which, which rang all over the world. So um, I guess I'm just hankering for some history here. Because uh, the impact being so so big from both events, 1992, you win this round. All right, viral sensations, you guys tie up the game and take control of the board. Okay. What category do you want to go with next? Uh, according to our little plot here, uh, we are going to dive into movies. I will uh, start you off on this bad boy. Um the date, March 13th, 1992, a little movie featuring the accusation of a wonderful young actor named Ralph Macchio, accused of murder in rural Alabama, and he can only call one person to help get him out of it, him and his friend. He calls my cousin Vinny. <laughs> uh, the, the movie featuring Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei in her Oscar-winning performance for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Big movie in the time. It was in the top five for the first few weeks of its existence. It made 600% of its budget. It was $60 million domestic. Uh, and was the final film of TV's Herman Munster, Fred Gwynn, who played the judge in that film. Uh, the movie was meant to go to actually quite a few different people. J uh, Jim Belushi claimed to have turned down the role. Danny DeVito had been considered for it. Uh, but in the end, Joe Pesci brought his Joe Pesciness to it and a lot of credibility along with that. And then Marissa Tomei's breakout performance at 27 years of age makes My Cousin Vinny a great little choice for 1992. That was a fantastic choice. And you said that was March 13th, right? Of 1992? Well, I'll tell you what, one week, one week later... Uh, March 20th of 1992, we found out how much it would cost to see under Sharon Stone's dress. And apparently that is $352 million because that's how much this movie made at the box office. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Basic Instinct. And Paul Verhoeven, who's a legend, directed this box office monster. Like I said, made $352 million on a $49 million budget. And huh. in 2020 dollars, that's a box office of $648 million or half an Avengers, basically, but still pretty good. Uh, as you know, Sharon Stone's in that movie. You cannot forget that. And also Michael Douglas. And if you don't know what this movie's about, uh, besides seeing what she has down under, uh, it's an American neo-noir erotic thriller that was directed by Verhoeven, written by Joe... I might butcher his name. Joe Esterhaus. Mrs. Esterhaus? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with that. Uh, the film follows police detective Nick. Wait, you got to do it again. Go, Joe Esterhaus. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it was written by Joe Esterhouse. Nice. The film film follows police detective Nick Curran, who's played by Michael Douglas, who is investigating the brutal murder of a wealthy rock star. And during the investigation, Curran becomes involved in a torrid and intense relationship, which is quite understating it, uh, with the prime suspect, Catherine Trammell, who's played by Sharon Stone, who is an enigmatic writer. This is the fourth highest grossing film of 1992 behind Aladdin, The Bodyguard, and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And this was also nominated for two Academy Awards, two Golden Globes, and also won two MTV Movie Awards for Best Female Performance and Most Desirable Female for Miss Sharon Stone. So Basic Instinct, March 20th. Sharon Stone was in that? I always just remember it for Christopher Knight. <laughs> I totally don't even remember that movie. Like, I remember that Do you scene. mean Wayne Knight? Oh, is it Wayne Knight? I don't Knight? remember what it's about. Yeah. I always remember it for Wayne Knight. Yeah. Can't get enough, Wayne Knight. Sexy boy. All right, Man Crush, that's over to us. You want me to go first on this one? Uh, I'll start off, I guess. All right, Man Crush, that's over to us. <laughs> you want to start off this one? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that. Uh, March 7th, 1986. Uh, he, actually, here's one that's available on Prime right now. So if you don't already own it, you can go there and watch it. If you're trapped at home during this whole coronavirus thing, here's an amazingly entertaining movie that'll take up at least two hours of your time. But aside from the movie being awesome, it also has a killer soundtrack that was put together by Queen, and it's not Flash Gordon. Uh, in typical 80s fashion, especially for a canon film, they really like they reuse this one song in like a lot of scenes, much like they do in Over the Top, which <laughs> they did with uh, Kenny Loggins and Meet Me Halfway. They did the same thing with Queen's One Year of Love in this song or in this movie, rather, uh, pretty fucking often. Or at least I felt that way when I was watching it. I rewatched it last week. Like I said, it's on Prime. Uh, anyways, awesome movie. But these guys had some juggernauts. This one did not do great at the box office at all. It took in $6 million, which is about $14 million in 2020, on an alleged $16 million budget, because, of course, it's canon, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but the funny thing is, it flopped hard at the box office, making $6 bucks. but it went on to have three sequels, an animated movie, a TV movie, and a TV series that Mark mentioned a few weeks back that ran for six seasons on USA. And more interestingly... The three sequels all made more money than the original, but the original is clearly the best one of the entire series. But here's the the interesting fact. None of these movies made any money at the box office. They all lost money, a lot of money, which why would you continue to make them? But at the same time, if I now me telling you that you probably didn't know that because it's a movie that it's a cult classic. People like it. People always say the one line from this. Uh, so it kind of blows my mind that it's a popular series and it never made any money. But this is the canon classic, The Highlander. There can, can only, only be, be one. one. That's right. The original. That's the only one there could be because the rest, eh, I don't really remember anything about any of the sequels, but the first one is so good. And I rewatched it last week and I hadn't seen it in years. And I was just like, man, this is so good. It's such a good movie. And then when I'm doing the research for this, I'm like, how is it possible that this movie never made money? Because it's such a good movie. 
I know how it made money, and it's something we talk about on this show all the time, and that's the after-video market. Because if you find any fan of Highlander, they have them all on video cassette, DVD, whatever. It's definitely something you bought. And at, you know, 80 bucks a VHS tape in 1986, <laughs> that's how they made their money. It's true, I guess. I mean, everybody knows Highlander. The TV Everyone's show was it. really good. I, I remember watching that. Was it uh, Adrian Paul? He was in that. That show, I, I love the TV show. It was fantastic. And that Queen song, that is so good. <laughs> Once it's better than I, I can't. I can do a lot. I can't do Freddy. Yeah. I can't do. I'm not even going to try. Who wants to live And then you can uh, watch part two and they kind of retcon the series by saying that they're essentially aliens from another planet, that, that they're only immortal because they're on Earth. But if they go back to the other place, then they're not uh, immortal. But then if another one comes here, then they're mortal. And that if they kill all the ones that are here, then they're mortal. It's a... A very tongue twister thing. That's why they did a director's <laughs> cut version of it that removes all that nonsense from the movie. Didn't Connery come back for the second one after he died in the first one? Sure did. <laughs> Spoiler. How many immortals could immortals kill if immortals could kill immortals? That is how the plot is. Crazy stuff. So what do you have, Mark? That's why I had Highlander. All right. So my movie had no problems making some money. This movie came in at the top spot in the box office when it debuted. So let's talk about this one. We're going to go to the South Florida Sun Sentinel in an article dated March 27th, 1986 says that this movie claimed the top spot in the box office chase last week with this year's biggest opening week gross, 9 million in a whopping 1,788 theaters. So this movie beat out gung ho pretty in pink Oscar favorite, the color purple, the Disney classic sleeping beauty, Underrated comedy, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, The Care Bears, Hannah and Her Sisters, Just Between Friends, and the greatest finisher in all of wrestling, Crossroads. So if you haven't figured out what movie I'm talking about yet, you know, this movie is the second sequel from the 1980s version of the Keystone Cops, the article goes on to describe, still pandering to low-brow teenage taste. It includes much of the same cast, Bubba Smith, Steve Gutenberg, David Graff, and Michael Winslow. Yes, I am talking about Police Academy 3, Back in Training. <laughs> Released March 21st, 1986. Now, when you talk about Police Academy movies, of course, everybody loves the first one. But Police Academy 3 often gets overlooked. It is one of the best ones in the series. Oh, it's the best one. Mainly because it has the best cast. Yeah. When you think of all of your favorite characters, more characters from the series appeared in three than in any other movie. The only person that it's missing is G.W. Bailey, who then returned to the series later. But Police Academy 3 was the final movie where we got Mauser, a totally underrated character. You killed Mickey! <laughs> <laughs> Bobcat came back for this one. It's fantastic. Yeah, Police Academy 3 back in training. I'm sure everybody's watched this one now that it's up on Netflix, March 21st, 1986. Where you put the batteries? I got to do a uh, a police academy marathon. I haven't seen them in so long, but I remember watching the shit out of them when I was a kid. Yeah. I think the first 3, I think the fourth one was the fourth one Miami. No, no, that was Citizens on Patrol. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. so I feel like the first 4 I watched and then I think then the fifth one's when I kind of stopped. But I remember the first three I watched pretty heavily, so I feel like I'm yeah. due. 
here's a challenge for you. Start with Mission to Moscow and work <laughs> backwards. Yeah. Oh. The memento cut. Yeah. <laughs> You'll dig it. It's kind of rewarding because they progressively get better. Yeah, so. yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not to uh, shamelessly self-promote, but a uh, coming attractions episode I did a few weeks ago, I actually did a fantasy recast of a reboot of P- uh, Police Academy, uh, knocking new people into most of the roles. Oh, nice. Who played Mahoney? Uh, I put in Ryan Reynolds. I did this as an ageless kind of thing. Like you're not worried about. I was like, I'm not worried about whether or not they're they're the right age to be in the police academy. See, I always thought if they were to reboot Police Academy, a great Mahoney would yeah. be Jason Sudeikis. Oh, that's interesting. I always thought that'd be a, an interesting. Actually, I think choice. we we did that on a poop culture <laughs> episode. We did, we, and I'm glad cast. you brought it up. That was uh, <laughs> oh, that was a topic of poop culture back in the day. Yep. Wow, that's Man. fucking throwback. I like Joe's response. He's like, that's interesting. It's like telling your Nana what you do for a living. <laughs> and she, she doesn't approve of your career. Oh, that that's really interesting, honey. No, no, I like that pick. That's a good one. Oh, you manually masturbate animals for science. <laughs> <laughs> your grandpa did that when he was in college. It's for yeah. science. <laughs> My most uh, controversial pick, though, is I picked uh, Jay Farrow to replace Michael Winslow because I couldn't think of another person to do sounds or anything, so I got somebody to do impressions to replace him. No, that's a solid pick. I could see that. Yeah, Michael Winslow's a legend. Lava Lentula for life. All right, let's toss it over to Dave Schultz for the judgment for the movies round. All right, Police Academy 3, back in training. I will punch anyone in the face and argue Police Academy 4 was a far superior film. But, you know, what a great gig it was to be an actor in these movies because they basically get released every year. So Gutenberg knew he was going to have a check. He didn't ever have to worry about what he was doing next summer. You know what I mean? It was like, well... I'm just going to make another one of those fucking Police Academy movies. Um, Highlander? Yeah, it's actually an interesting factoid you brought up, how they kept making more money than each previous installment, but all of them still sucked at the box office and didn't bring back its budget at all. That's a very uh, I don't I don't have the numbers bit. in front of me, but I'm talking, like, big time. Like, say say it was $30 million to mm-hmm. make it, they made fifteen. Right, right. Like on on the first one, it was it cost fourteen and or it cost sixteen, and they made six. So it's why would you keep making them? Because nerds out there need to see them. That was their life blood, life's blood. You know, having the Highlander franchise in their life. I knew a guy; he just loved the fucking Highlander movies. He'd make foam padded weapons in his house, and I bet so, he owned them all too. He did, he did. But that, I mean, you you get into Highlander, that's the kind of life you're gonna have. Eating, yeah. You know, it's like Star Trek. If it's something you're into, you collect everything of that. Yeah, and you eat cold beefaroni out of a can every night for dinner. That's nice. the kind of, you know, yeah. You LARP. You, you yeah, live action role play like a motherfucker. I am the king of my studio apartment. None shall enter here. Uh, 1992, great films here. My Cousin Vinny. And props to Joe for not bringing up the quote from that film that if I heard one more time... This many years later, my ears may have started to bleed. Uh, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're too young, so get the fuck off my lawn. Two youths? Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a... Okay, and then Basic what Instinct... What is a what? ute? No, don't keep going with that. I just asked you not to do it. I'm saying it for the audience at home that doesn't know the quote you're talking about. 
I think he forfeits this round. Think of the kids. Think of the kids. He might be. He doesn't want to live forever, this guy. He wants me <laughs> want to fucking- Want to live forever. We do it for the kids and for the audience, just like why I kept saying Guns and Roses instead of GNR. GN fucking R. <laughs> Basic Instinct, Hoochie Coochie, Sharon Stone. Was anybody hotter in 92 than Sharon Stone? I mean, my God, that was parodied up and down the board, the whole- Legs opening scene. Unfortunately, it had Michael Douglas in it. And the problem I have with Michael Douglas is, I mean, no, the guy is a great actor. Falling Down is one of my favorite movies. I mean, the guy, he's super talented. But then he said he, uh, what do you get, throat cancer from from cunnilingus? Yeah. It started with this movie. (laughs) Was that it? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, this is where it all began. Catherine Zeta-Jones is pissy. (laughs) Gaby's guy. Throat cancer. I would take throat cancer for that. Do you know why, though? Because Catherine Zeta-Jones douches with aspartame. <laughs> That's what happened. She was also in a movie with Sean Connery. That might add I mean, think about it. Think about it. You know, munching box or cigarettes. Yeah, well, uh, yeah I, I was going to say. If, like if you're going to get it. Yeah, Drew's got it right there. If you're going to get it anyway, you know. It's like, well, if you're going to get coronavirus, you might as well get it kissing Sharon Stone, right? Rather than just being in the same room as her. You might as well go all the way with it. You might as well get coronavirus from making out with Tom Hanks. Why not? Hey, well, I'd do it. (laughs) I'm going to do it right now. I'm flying down to Australia, baby. Now I'm going down under. Anyway, I'm looking at these movies here, and they're all great picks. I really do. I like them all. But I think for the, the sheer magnitude and the impact the films had... I'm going to have to give this round to 1992. You didn't go with the longevity of all the sequels in the six seasons on USA? <laughs> yeah, or or Sharon Stone's uh, coot shot. That's, I yeah. think that's the longevity he's talking about. <laughs> A little too hairy for me. I, I think that was probably an argument. That was. Pro- <laughs> I think it was, a, it was also a wig. So. It was a merkin. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's like, what happened? Man crush, did she open her legs and carrot top popped out or something? And you're like, oh, that's too much. He's got some props in there. It's like, you know, if you know, if you like you're eating cookies or something and like a crumb falls off the cookie onto the floor and after a couple of weeks, it grows like moss on top. That's what no, it looked like. I sweep my floor. I sweep the floor. There's no cookie. This, cookies growing. I'm talking about my a friend's floor. house. Oh, sure. The guy who, who has Highlander. On on Betamax too, no, but but Mark's just like yeah, he brought props. Gallagher didn't pop out of her vagina. I'm talking about Carrot Top. Hey, Carrot Top's a prop comic too. Not a good one. <laughs> All right, viral sensations, you guys pick up a point and take the two to one lead heading into the first two point rounds. You guys have control of the board. What category would you like next? I say we go with music. All right, let's do it to it. Do you want to lead us off? Um, yeah, I'll lead us off. Uh, Mark, I think you're talking about how GNR eventually wound up signing with Geffen Records. Uh, I have another another band that signed with Geffen Records, and they released an album on March 31st, 1992. And I absolutely love this album. And this was the band's first charting album. And I am talking about Las Exorcisto, Devil Music Volume 1 from White Zombie. Uh, I absolutely love that band. They had two singles on there, Thunder Kiss 65 and Black Sunshine, phenomenal songs. Uh, other great songs in there, Welcome to Planet Motherfucker, which is a great song name 
Soul Crusher and Cosmic Monsters, all great tunes. Uh, this was actually nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance, certified two times platinum. Uh, it was ranked 93rd by Rolling Stone in a 2017 list of the 100 greatest metal albums of all time. And you could also, you know, you can only tell that it was only a matter of time before Rob Zombie got behind a camera and started making horror movies. As you could hear, there were like several like B horror movie uh, sound clips throughout the album and kind of mixed with his dark style. You could tell he would do more than just music. Now, the album peaked at number 26 on the U.S. Billboard 200. Pretty impressive. And White Zombie has over 1 million monthly listeners on Spotify. And Thunder Kiss 65, which was the the first single off the album, it's their most popular song on the app, being streamed over 32 million times, just slightly ahead of More Human Than Human, which came on their follow-up album of Astro Creep 2000. After White Zombie, Rob Zombie will go on to a solo career where he has over 2 million monthly subscribers on Spotify there. Uh, to direct movies such as 2007's Halloween and 2009's Halloween 2. And my favorite works of his were House of a Thousand Corpses in 2000. And my favorite movie he did was The Devil's Rejects in 2005. Love that movie. And also some fun facts. Uh, his brother is Spider One, who is the lead singer for that fantastic new metal band, Power Man 5000. And uh, also, Rob Zombie's real name is actually Robert Cummings. So there you go. Does anybody in his movies go, yeah? <laughs> I don't think so, but I wish they did, because I feel like that'd be wonderful. A perfect extension of his music. They just like they just, like stab people all willy-nilly. It's yeah. funny that you picked that. I, uh, I actually watched Three from Hell last night, which is okay. the follow-up nice. to uh, Devil's Rejects. Yep. It came out last year. It was actually not that bad, and it had like this little play up for. Uh, I won't give too much of it away, but for Sid Haig in the beginning, yeah, you know, because he died, you know, so it's yep. kind of cool. Check that one out. It was probably a little bit better than a couple of his past few movies, but I liked it. All right, and if that pick knocked your pants off, I'll give you a moment to put them back on, but put them on backwards because that was the fashion style of the of the, the group that I want to talk about right now. March 31st, 1992, the rap duo, the children rap duo of Criss Cross released their debut album, Totally Crossed Out. Yeah. It was written and produced by J- Jermaine Dupree uh, and headed up by Chris Mac Daddy Kelly and Chris Daddy Mac Smith. Uh, the singles on that were Jump, which was actually n- the number one Billboard single for two straight months, and uh, Warm It Up, which came out and hit the charts a little later that year. Uh, it was the number one album on the Billboard Top 200, two separate occasions during the year, and was the number 90 album of the ni- of the decade. So, crisscross, turning their pants backwards, their hats backwards, their jerseys backwards. I don't know how they buttoned them up, but I assume that with all that money that they made off of that album, they could afford people to button it up for them. I heard they dressed each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, I dig practicality. If Jermaine Dupree wasn't in the room, that makes it sound a little bit better. Yeah, Jermaine Dupree yeah. actually discovered them in a mall, just walking around the mall with their clothes on backwards and decided that they had the right look and he should sign them to a record contract. That sounds like a sound strategy. Yeah, he made a couple bucks I off bet that. they didn't ask for $75,000 yeah. in cash up front. <laughs> or ask Jermaine Dupree to walk down uh, Sunset Boulevard naked. <laughs> no, he did that shit for free. <laughs> All right, but that is my pick, Criss Cross, totally crossed out, March 31st, just getting it under the, under the gun. That Man. is a great album. 
What a false sell at the end of that was a great album. I, like, I, no, I love Chris. That's Are you like kidding saying me? another bad creation was like the next coming of Biggie. I think I was like in sixth grade when that came out, and I remember like a couple kids in our classroom, like the cool kids, like they went to the bathroom and then they came back with their pants like on their pants on backwards. I thought you were gonna say their pants down. I was like, what school did you go to, bro? <laughs> Oh, it's a uh, Richard C. Crockett Middle School, sir. <laughs> so gangster. You do not disrespect Crockett. In retrospect, we knocked the kids from crisscross, but they were before their time. You know, you wear your pants backwards like that. A lot of advantages. You get two extra front pockets, and you don't have to take yeah. your pants off to shit. <laughs> how, do you, how do you piss? Well, there is one other challenge. <laughs> yeah. God damn. You just whip it out. I mean, your pants are already around your ankles at that point. So does it matter? Yeah. In 1992, were they they already dropping down that low? Oh, my God, yeah. They were halfway down to your yeah. knees, dude. I, for, I forget. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Pull your pants up. All right, Mark. You can, uh, you can leave this one off. All right, Dave. I got a pick I know you're going to enjoy because you know I'm a Ooh. huge fan of jam bands, right? Oh, yes, you are. All right. Well, this is a band that definitely jams. And this album came out on March 3rd, 1986. It was their third album. This album features long musical progressions that also has drawn out solos. You know, the songs vary dramatically in tempo and they follow along with multiple crescendos. The album even has three different songs that clock in at over eight minutes. And to support this album, this band decided, you know, we're not going to release a video. We're not going to release an EP, nothing. We're just going to hit the road. Now, if that doesn't sound like a jam band, I don't know what is. And if you guys haven't figured out what album I'm talking about, if it's not obvious yet, released March 3rd, 1986, I give you the album Master of Puppets by Metallica. <laughs> you had pe people had smoke coming out of their ears. <laughs> like, what the fuck is he talking about? Everything I said was absolutely true about this album. <laughs> And if you're a fan of Metallica, this is what hooked me on the band to begin with. I started with Ride the Lightning, and it's those long melodies and the tempos that kind of just take you on that journey. If you were a fan of that, they kicked it up a notch for this next album, for Master of Puppets. The album would go on to sell over 6 million copies, be certified six times platinum, and it just features songs that are still in the staple today. Battery, Master of Puppets, my favorite Welcome Home Sanitarium. It's gone down in its legacy as one of the greatest thrash metal albums of all time and one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time. It's just still the magnum opus of this band. So that's my music selection, a band that definitely jams out Metallica with Master of Puppets. Man, we're going to have to... Uh, remember how... Dial MTV used to have to retire songs like for like Motley Crue and yeah. Home Sweet Home. After a while, they had that rule because they were like on top for so long. They had to retire. I think we have to retire Metallica because I think that's like three or four episodes in a row. The Metallica. Yeah, we talked up. about them last week. Yeah. yeah. And it but it's been completely different stuff. Like last week was uh, we did the single, which was uh, wherever I may wherever roam, I may right? roam. Yeah. Yeah. So it's different time periods. So like when Mark brought this one up to me, I was like, did we just do this? But yeah. we didn't. It, it's just like Metallica keeps popping up. It's the dueling decades Mandela effect. Because yeah. we've talked about Mandela how many times on the show? Princess Diana how many times on the show? And now Master of Puppets oh. and Metallica. 
We're going to have to build a retirement list. They put out four albums in the 80s and, what, three in the 90s? So it's going to happen. Yeah, and of course, this was the last album that the band did before uh, Cliff Burton died. And one other thing that I wanted to mention is on our Facebook page, in our Facebook group, right before we started recording this episode, I went on our Facebook group and I posted the album cover for Master of Puppets. And I asked people in our group, review this album in three words. So I just want to go through a few of these. Robert Grassfield said, fucking flipping awesome. Bill Weber said, greatest metal album. Ian Lee Messler, godlike, of course. Tom Coombs Jr., pretty good album. I don't know about pretty good there, but Richard Thomas says, best album ever. And Robert Marquez, great description. Cliff them all. Ooh, good one. So, yeah. If you haven't checked out our Facebook page yet, head on over to www.duelingdecades.com or you can just go over to facebook.com forward slash duelingdecades. You can join in on the conversation for yourself. All right, Man Crush, what do you got for music? All right, a little bit later in the month, we got March 24th, 1986. This is the seventh album from this extremely popular rock band that featured a brand new lead singer. And once again, last episode... I brought up Iron Maiden. They switched their vocalists, and they still became a juggernaut. This is another example of changing the singer but still kicking major ass. Matter of fact, this one, it almost split the fans in two because to this day, we still hear people comparing one lead man over the other. Some fans like one, some fans like the other one, but they still love the band. So we get this new album. We got a new lead singer, and it still managed to go six times platinum. It hit number one on the U.S. Billboard 200. It produced five singles, which included Summer Nights, Best of Both Worlds, Why Can't This Be Love, Dreams, and Love Walks In. And, of course, the album, speaking of, is the hit record 5150 by the world-renowned Van Halen. And you know what? Like, I love finding reviews that people are completely fucking wrong about. So let me just uh, drop this one right here. Uh, this is a good one. From the Village Voice, Rob, fuck his last name because it's fucking retarded. Uh, but he said, uh, a not disreputable performance, most likely a failed experiment or a pleasant piece of hack work. The guitar mavens who thought Eddie equaled Van Halen are going to like his firework displays. Balls to the wall hooks now that video star David Lee Roth has given way to one of the biggest schmucks in the known business. <laughs> no musician with something good to say could stomach responding to Sammy Hagar's call. I mean, what's that line from Ghostbusters? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Robert <laughs> shit, whatever the fuck your last name in, you have no dick because this is a great fucking album. I respect both sides of the coin. If you like DLR or you like Sammy, it's like kind of two separate bands, but it's still Van Halen and they're both fucking amazing. So there it is. It's a uh, 5150 by Van Halen. That's a great album. All right. Let's toss it over to Dave Schultz for the judgment. You know, although the years are completely different, you guys kind of had, well, at least Drew and Mark had a common theme with both of their picks. And that is singer shticks. Because earlier I was making fun of Rob Zombie's yeah. Well, James Hetfield kind of has his whole thing going on too. A little yeah at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Jaro. 
Yeah. Imagine doing that in like everyday life. You're at the convenience store. Would you like a scratch ticket, sir? Oh, yeah. Gonna be a winner. You know, it's like, come on, dude. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's the James Hetfield <laughs> Challenge. I challenge all of our listeners of Dueling Decades to do it. And uh, record your uh, interactions with people and send them to us on our Facebook page. <laughs> that would be fucking fantastic. Yeah. Order a quarter pounder with cheese. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be even greater if someone walked in with a guitar, too. <laughs> you know, start riffing on them. <laughs> Talk to your lady. Suck my dick. <laughs> Suck my dick. Yeah. Uh, by- I'm coming. Uh- <laughs> Don't record that, people. Yeah, we don't. We don't need that. That's yeah. Don't, don't, don't do a man crush. Wow, that escalated quickly. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Viral sensation. Okay, uh, back to White Zombie again. I mean, I I love that record when I was younger. I was a teenager. I couldn't get enough of it. But now, in hindsight, again, kind of making fun of Rob Zombie. But the name of the album is so great because you can pronounce it in, in a couple different ways. You can sound kind of sexy and, and sultry and go, La Sexorcisto. Or you can sound like Beavis and Butthead and be like, La Sexorcisto. It doesn't matter which way you go with it. It's just a cool <laughs> title for an album. Uh, Joe came with Criss Cross, and I wish I knew what I know now about putting the clothes on backwards, because back then I just tried to do it like The Exorcist by turning my head <laughs> completely around and... <laughs> I spent my my entire sophomore year in a neck brace because of that. So fuck you, crisscross. Uh, Mama Luke's man, who master of puppets, Metallica, and fifty one fifty Van Halen. I am not a big Van Halen fan, so I can't say I dug that record too much. And I'm not a Sammy Hagar guy either. I guess he could almost fall in the line of shticky because he really has no range whatsoever. What the fuck? (laughs) That's that's your selling point? (laughs) He could scat like a motherfucker, though. (laughs) So can a bear. Give me a break. Um, I need Bo Beecraft to back me up on that. He will. You know what? I expect him to record his James Hetfield out in the- I bet he will. (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm waiting for that feverishly. So yeah, uh, 92 man, a couple, Criss Cross was culturally important at the time, White Zombie, great, but I'm looking at the Mama Lukes here, and Master of Puppets and 5150 are just monumental records, Uh, so therefore, I'm going to give this round to 86 and the Mama Lukes. All right, Man Crush, we take the lead once again, three to two, but we're heading into the final round, it's still anyone's game. Should we go first, or you think we should defer? Yeah, fuck it. We'll defer. Challenge. I challenge that. I can't do that. Oh, this ain't football. My bad. (laughs) Throw the flag. All right, viral sensations. It's over to you guys for the final round. All righty. Are you going to lead us off on this one? Sure, I'll lead us off. You you know what's funny about deferring? It's not like we could change our pick. So, like, who gives a fuck? (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) It builds the drama. The (laughs) listeners are like, oh, my goodness, they deferred. That's what's, that's what's going on. I pick a winner by whoever goes first. So That's right. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we went first last round, so. Oh, well, that goes out. Uh, don't bring this yeah. shit up, man. <laughs> All right. Well, this one, this one's going to be good. So March 31st, 1992, uh, this show debuted, and it takes deep dives into all sorts of mysteries and comes up with answers, uh, except the one mystery left to solve is what the hell happened to Lester Holt's hairline. 
I'm talking about Dateline NBC. March 31st, I didn't see Dateline debuted. It's been on the air for 29 seasons, and it's still going strong. Uh, my wife and I will watch like an episode here and there. Uh, it's it's insanely just captivating. You get sucked in and watch these damn shows. It was previously the network's flagship news magazine, but now focuses mainly on true crime stories with only occasional additions that focus on other topics. And if I'm not mistaken, I think last week, as a matter of fact, they actually did a special coronavirus one, of course. So they'll they'll switch things out on occasion, but usually it's true crime. Usually it's like a, a couple where one of them like disappears and it's like the spouse that did it. And then they always say no. And then it turns out it was them. That's pretty much what happens. But uh, they also had some other special series, such as the one show no one ever wants to be the star of to catch a predator, as well as to catch a con man and the real blacklist. And the initial co-anchors were Stone Phillips and Jane Pauley, but now it's run by the aforementioned Lester Holt and his giant fucking forehead. But (laughs) Dateline NBC makes its debut. It's been on the air for 29 seasons. 29 seasons. Still on. That's all I got. All righty. And over to me. And I'm going to take you. If we're going to talk about March, we got to talk about March Madness. We can't talk about it this month, but we can talk about it from 1992. And I'm going to bring you to the East Regional Men's Basketball Final between Duke and Kentucky. Uh, Wouldn't sound like any kind of extraordinary game in any other circumstances, but this one... Uh, became quite a legend in NCAA history. Uh, with 2.1 seconds remaining in overtime, Christian Leitner hits a jumper just as time is, expires to give Duke the win, 104 to 103. Uh, this game has since been considered to be uh, the best college basketball game in the history of college basketball, has been named the best college basketball game of all time by Sporting News, Bleacher Report, and The Daily News. And Christian Leitner's uh, celebrity from his uh, from his heroism here, which there is a Wikipedia page just called The Shot, which is specifically about him making that final shot in the game, uh, got him the only spot of a person who had not played in an NBA game yet on the 1992 Dream Team, beating out people like Alonzo Mourning and fellow uh, draft class member Shaquille O'Neal, who was actually the number one pick in that draft. Uh, It was moments like this that got him the spot over them. So he was on the Dream Team full of Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, you know, Larry Bird, what have you, Christian Leitner sitting on that team because of this game. Got to have somebody to carry the towels. Hey. <laughs> That's what Scotty Pippen was for. <laughs> yeah, that game was, I remember watching that game. That was insane. Like, just a quick catch release shot. Man, fucking insane. That game, I still, whenever you think of March Madness, like, you think of that game. Or you think of college basketball in general. It's Leitner in that game. Such such an iconic game and performance. You know, I'm a huge Duke fan, and I have distinct memories watching that game. I think that was the game that really turned me into a Duke fan. So, all right, over to you guys. Yeah, way, way to sell their pick there, fuckstick. <laughs> <laughs> For that, you can go first. <laughs> so, uh, for my television selection, uh, this show debuted March third, nineteen eighty-six. It ran for one hundred and eighty-one episodes and had a couple of spinoffs as well. It originally was produced as a television movie and then was split into parts one and two when it was part of the series. 
Uh, this TV show started on NBC and then later moved to ABC. It is based on a Georgia lawyer, Bobby Lee Cook. Cook was known for his legal skills, his folksy charm. This television show starred classic television stalwart Andy Griffith as Matlock as he follows the cases of a, the criminal defense attorney, Ben Matlock. Thrifty, folksy, and cantankerous, Matlock charges a premium for his services, but it's worth every penny. This renowned attorney was always clothed in his trademark light gray suit and driving his signature Crown Vic. Matlock had an uncanny knack for finding overlooked clues and exposing murders in dramatic courtroom scenes. Uh, you know, I'm a huge Andy Griffith fan from the Andy Griffith Show. If you're a fan of Andy Griffith, you might not even know this, but even though the Andy Griffith Show went for way more seasons, he was actually the character of Matlock longer than he was Andy Griffith, mostly because of Matlock's one-hour format. So that's my pick for television they debut of Matlock, ran 181 episodes, but it all started as a made-for-TV movie on NBC, March 3rd, 1986. Over to you, Man Crush. All right. You know what's pretty amazing about uh, both of our picks is in March, it's really rare that you're going to get, like, good shows that debut in March. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, you had T.J. Hooker, I think, was March, too, like a couple years prior to this. Such a but good most show. Of the time, yeah, most of the time you didn't get that. You're, you're getting a bunch of garbage. Like, what was it, a couple weeks ago I had, like, Bug Juice yeah. debuting. You know, <laughs> you, you don't get these juggernaut shows, but I think in Yeah, in you, don't get aspect, a show, you don't get a show like Dateline very often. Yeah, I mean, Dateline's a news show, though, so eh, it it's is. It's a murder mystery. Is. Eh, it's Dateline. It's fucking ambient. Lester Holt. All right, so this is not, though. March, it's Lester Holt. That's like <laughs> fucking Zimbalta or some shit. All right, so March 25th, 1986. Uh, here's a show that debuted on this date. It would last for eight seasons, 150 episodes. And like I said, we normally don't get any shows this late in the season, but ABC, they didn't want to premiere a show in the fall. or would, They didn't want to premiere this show in the fall because they didn't want it to get lost in the shuffle with all the other shows. So they waited till March, and then by its third season, they moved this from Wednesday nights, and they moved it to be part of ABC's amazing Friday night TGIF lineup. I think we all know that one. And this particular show would be slotted in the 8 p.m. time slot as the lead-in for Full House. I see Drew trying to figure out what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, but believe it or not, this show was actually inspired by the 1984 Olympics that took place in Los Angeles. Uh, both of the uh, future producers of this show, they're watching all these international athletes experience Los Angeles for the first time. And they were looking at them and they had this crazy culture shock that just came across as pure comedy gold to these guys. And they knew that if they put this together, they would probably have a hit on their hands. But there was a little catch because this is 1984. The guy that they wanted to play the foreigner in this show, he was actually signed on at the time with NBC on a show called Sarah. But luckily for them, Sarah got canceled and he was able to do this show. And then matter of fact, the other co-star was actually somebody else entirely. I don't know how many people actually know this, but the role of cousin Larry hint was actually given initially to Louie Anderson in the pilot. <laughs> oh, I didn't know yeah. That. They did not see the chemistry between Bronson Pinchot 
So they brought in uh, Marklin Baker to play Cousin Larry instead. And, of course, the show that I'm talking about is Perfect Strangers. But the show is also responsible for the spinoff Family Matters. So we got kind of a double dose with this pick because uh, Harriet Winslow, of course, she was the uh, elevator operator in the building that they lived in. And then, uh, you know, her husband was on a couple of seasons, I think the same season, maybe season three or four. And, uh, you know, and if we win this round, I will do the dance of joy. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, your show had a spinoff. My show had two spinoffs. You had Family Matters and uh, Matlock actually had Jake and the Fat Man and Diagnosis Murder were the two spinoffs from that show. Well, Dateline had to catch a predator and it's uh, side specials. And then uh, there's still basketball on. I consider every ba- college basketball game That's a spinoff right. to this one. <laughs> Dateline kept predators off the streets. You're welcome. Yeah, but illegally. And then they had to stop. Yeah, but it took them <laughs> off the streets and put them on national television. And put him in jail. I don't care how. I don't care if it's illegal. Get those fuckers I off the street. I don't know. Did they actually get arrested for that stuff? Because I remember reading that they were doing it. The way that they did it wasn't like legal or whatever. So it didn't uh, didn't put them in jail. I don't know. I'm talking out my ass. But I think that's what I had read like years ago. Because didn't they have to stop that whole bit? They did. Yeah. That was classic fucking television. Yeah. I, have a seat. I have a buddy oh, yeah. who's so fascinated with the catch a predator. There's there's Reddit threads about it and all kinds of like they keep up with the guys that they busted now. Oh no yeah, shit. Yeah, like one of them's teaching karate out somewhere in the Midwest and <laughs> they got like baseball cards for them and shit with their stats. They in the might back. as well. They really update. Update. Yeah. Update. <laughs> update. It's Robert Stack's voice and everything. Update. <laughs> All right, let's throw it down to Judge Dave Schultz for the final ruling on this game. I don't know if I can make a ruling because I'm actually in shock thinking about how terrible Perfect Strangers would have been if Louis Anderson was on the show. <laughs> Could you imagine him just being like, yeah, I'm your cousin Larry. Come into my house. They said it came across too cynical. Balky, you got to stop playing knock, knock, row, rock. <laughs> I was going to say, he's on that terrible like late night game show that's in syndication now. I forget what the name of it was, but it's all. Fam- Wasn't he on Family Feud? No. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's on this other one. They got like John Lovitz and like all these other washed up. Oh, it's comedians. funny you should ask. It's called. Yeah, and it's terrible. It's fucking yeah. horrible. It's just like this pre-scripted one-liner show, and it's just garbage. Where he belongs, anyway. But I'm done. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, I think I'm over my shock now. You guys help me get out of my Louis Andersons. Okay, 92. Drew was selling Dateline really hard, and I can appreciate that because right now you're giving me a soapbox, and if you permit me to do so, can I use it? I hope you do, Dave. Okay. To all the true crime podcasters out there, cut the shit. Cut it out. (laughs) Seriously, how many fucking true crime podcasts does anybody fucking need? You know? Do you guys listen to true crime? Any of you? No. No. Good. Then you're all my friends. I just commit it. I can appreciate you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like so many fucking people. It just it just makes me angry that they're all like, oh, we did intense research. But to bring this back to Drew is their research was watching Dateline. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I like Dateline. I, you know, Man Crush called it ambient, but that's the only true crime I can actually kind of get into. I, I kind of enjoy it. I don't consider it must watch television, but when it's on, it does. It sucks you in. Oh, Lester Holt is gripping. 
Well, now I'll never get over that fucking forehead of his. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, NCAA. You know, Joe, I got a qu- question here about Christian Latner. Did he ever become a junkie? <laughs> I don't believe. <laughs> Dave's like, I might have bought something from him. I think, yeah. He actually, dude, he threw it through my car window and it was amazing. It landed. <laughs> He, he did that fucking same shot from the. the I couldn't fucking believe it. The, the smack landed right on my crotch perfectly. I was like, "You, I know who you are. Your name isn't Paco. No, 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 no." <laughs> okay, now uh, on to eighty six with the Mama Luke's mock. I have a question for you because I'm curious about this. You mentioned that Andy Griffith played Matlock longer than uh, than he was on the Andy Griffith show, but. The way that you framed it wasn't based on episodes. It was based on hours, like time served. Right. He actually logged more screen time as the Matlock character than he did as Andy Griffith. I don't know if that counts. I mean, not not for this, for the purposes of this round, but I mean, as far as the, the debate on who he appeared as more. <laughs> yeah, I needed that too. Who wants to live forever? Anyway, so... Uh... <laughs> But I, I just mean, like, he was on people's television screens every week for an uh, amount of time as he Andy, during the Andy Griffith show, you know? And, and Matlock, it was like, well, it didn't last as long, but he was on your TV an extra half an hour every week. You see what I'm saying there? Technically, I guess, <laughs> but... I am not falling for your wizardry, my friend. Your magic <laughs> will not work on me. There can only be one. <laughs> yeah, well, uh... Okay, perfect strangers. I really want to see Man Crush do the dance. You know, that was <laughs> that was tempting. That's a tempting offer. Boy, this this one, you know, it's it's a toughie. It really is a toughie. Um where's my uh let's see here. I'm looking at my notes cuz I write everything down. Well, I don't really write all the information down. I do a lot of doodles. So let's see who got the <laughs> the best little doodle here. You know, guys, I'm going to have to go Oh, oh! I know you guys are waiting anxiously for me to actually say something rather than grunt. But I mean, really, Not you know really. what? Well, listen, this is really boiling down. I pay good money for that. Really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> write me, write me a seventy-five thousand dollars check, and I'll grunt all, all you want, baby. <laughs> um, but listen, just to let you know my thought process here in real time. Is I'm looking at Dateline and I'm looking at honestly Perfect Strangers, so I'm looking at uh, 29 years on the air, which is so impressive, compared to just my nostalgic noodle wiggling for the love of Perfect Strangers and the and the great casting choices, obviously that turned out in the end. And Family Matters that came out of it. Well, listen, let's not get into the spinoff situation, okay? Let's not do that because oh, you got, but you have to. Why? Those are the legs, bro. <laughs> oh, are they? Those are the legs. Yeah, Urkel's legs. We're not looking at the. We're not looking at that. We're looking at the foundation here. We're looking at the source um, and what you guys brought to the table today. Ooh boy. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be I'm stopping making noises. Beep, boop, bop, boop, boop, boop. And I am going to pick uh, 1986 for the win. Oh. oh no! And he's not gonna do the dance. You wait for it. Get your ass up, motherfucker. Shake your piggly wiggly. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I got to wait till we're done. And That's bullshit. Uh, I got to move my chair. That is fucking bullshit. I reversed you my You have decision. a chance to make the switch right yeah, now. Yeah, you can. Boom. You can reverse it. That's fine. 
I'm waiting for the boogie woogie. I want to see it. I will. I'll give it. I'll give it to you after this is over. I got to no, sit around and no. Here. Listen, you dancing right now makes for great radio because nobody can see it. <laughs> no, well, I can't. I can't physically do it right now because of the way my chair is positioned in the room. Well, maybe we'll have Man Crush record a video of himself doing the happy dance, and we'll put it up on our Facebook page for everybody. There you go. As James Hetfield in public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow, man, Chris. That was a close battle. Thanks a lot, Dave Schultz, for judging this one. Man, that was one of the closer uh, duels we've had on the show in quite a while. Dave, why don't you tell everybody what's coming up on the Selling Out Show? Oh, boy. Just talking about our lives, the mundane things that we do on a daily basis, but we try to make it relatable for everybody. And uh, I'm probably, I don't know, slightly obnoxious, but hopefully I make you laugh. It's perfect for your morning commute. You can find us in all your, your pod catchers, which again sounds like an STD. I hate saying pod catchers. So let's say podcast platforms by searching the Selling Out Show. All right. And Drew Zachman, tell us about the One Headlight 90s podcast. Uh, yeah. So we have, uh, I just released an episode on 311 for 311 Day. And we have a 90s music March Madness that will not get delayed by coronavirus. Uh, what I'll be doing is having. Four different uh, brackets. We'll have uh, 32 total albums in four groups of eight. So I'll be breaking it up by hard rock, rock, alternative, and then pop. And then I'll put the voting out. Uh, I'll put the, um, what the fuck are those things called? Polls. Bracket. I'll put the brackets and the polls out on Twitter and Facebook. So people, uh, we need you to vote. And then uh, we'll have prizes uh, if you fill out the bracket, if you can get the final four right in the championship right, we'll have prizes out for you. So uh, I'm working on putting the, the prizes together, and I'll hopefully have more updates on this uh, by the weekend so that way we know like, what we're dealing with and uh, we'll have everything ready. Can you drop that poll in our Facebook group? Yeah, I'll put it there for you guys so you can uh, have everybody look at that. Facebook.com forward slash Dealing Decades. Make sure you join the private group. We'll let you in almost immediately because we got no fucking lives in. <laughs> Matter of fact, everything is canceled now, so we'll just be home sitting on our hands waiting for you to request <laughs> to get into the group, and we'll add you. And then you could vote on uh, on this poll, yep. which you should. And you can win a prize. That's right. I'll throw on my Huey Lewis CD as a prize if you want. It's got some scratches on it, but I'm sure it still plays. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say it's a burn copy? Yeah, it's a copy copy. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. Made for some road tripping back in the day. All right, and last but certainly not least, unless you're talking about the judgment on this episode, over to Joe Finley. Hey, Joe, what's going on on the Miscast Commentary Podcast? Oh, that stung just what you said there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, what we, have, we have just passed the time, but hopefully uh, people have had a chance to listen to our coverage of Friday the 13th being released on Friday the 13th. Uh, but more importantly, we have our 100th episode coming up. And I know that's a bullshit number because we've actually done more than 200. But it's uh, it's just the way we number them. And so our 100th episode is coming up. And I'll give the exclusive here. We are going to be doing a commentary of The Running Man for that episode. Nice. nice. How do you fucking number them? Is that like a Canadian thing? Is How did you get to no. 100? Dude, you've been podcasting yeah. since like... Metric system. You were seven yeah. years. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, we don't number our coming attractions episodes. We only number the movie episodes, but then we also put out uh, bonus episodes for like Christmas and that. They don't get numbered either. So only our official 
movie commentaries are numbered episodes. Man, that's confusing. Yeah, but it works. <laughs> I figured it out. If I if I can figure it out, anybody can. <laughs> All right, duelers. Well, if you've missed an episode of Dueling Decades, of course, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. And while you're on the interwebs, head on over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. Like we just told you a few minutes ago, where you can join our private group and share some of your own great retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.